OSPO is all about connection with your customers and your team. But what if your tools could also connect? That's where Square comes in. Square for restaurants connects your front of house to your back of house, your team to their schedules, and connects new revenue streams with your marketing to reach new customers. Whether you have one location or many, Square has everything your business needs to connect your vision to reality. Learn more by visiting square.com slash restaurants. Welcome to another Principal of Hospitality podcast. I'm your host as always, Sean DeVries. Thanks so much for tuning in to another episode. Principle of Hospitality has been developed to tell the stories of professionals within the dynamic world of hospitality. We're straight talking, ethically minded and a reliable online source of information and inspiration for people in the hospitality industry. Now with today's show. Today we sit down with Chris Theodosi, who is the co-owner of the popular Sydney cafe, Happy Field. Happy Field is known for its delicious coffee, delicious pancakes, and beautiful atmosphere. And we're so excited to learn more about the brand's success and what makes it stand out in the hospitality industry. Hey, Chris, welcome to the show. Hi, Sean. How are you? Mate, I am well. Thank you very much for asking. It is fantastic to have you on the program for this week. And it was great talking to you, you know, the last couple of months and we got, you know, introduced by by Kevin Upton. So I want to give a big shout out to Kev to say thank you so much for connecting us because your brand is just looks incredible and I can't wait to come and visit the next time I'm in Sydney. Yes, definitely. But let's have a chat about how Happy Field has gained such a great reputation so far with the locals and and what it really inspired you to start this particular business? Like what actually brought you to start Happy Field? So I've worked in hospitality since I was 15. It's the only industry I've really worked in other than some odd jobs during COVID and whilst uh, building Happy Field. And always I studied at uni and whatnot throughout my hospitality journey. And I always thought if I was going to stick in hospitality, one day I'm going to open a business. Didn't know what that business was going to look like. At the time I was working at a function center. So that was kind of my apprenticeship for the first seven years of my career from 15 to 22. And then eventually I, I decided to uh, that I wasn't going to open a function center because it was a bit too big and crazy. So I decided to find a job at a cafe, which would be more up my alley one day and worked at the grounds of Alexandria after that pretty well-known um, Sydney establishment, probably mm-hmm kind of the biggest, craziest cafe in, in, in Sydney, in Australia, and one of the biggest in the world, which was an amazing place to, to work as my second job and got a lot of experience there and, and was fortunate enough to be a part of venue openings and new projects. And yeah, eventually, eventually left there and did a couple more things until I built up the confidence to say, all right, I'm finally going to give this a crack and avoided full-time roles for a couple of years. And then decided I was going to open Happy Field with my business partner, Jesse Orleans. Uh, he's the head chef. Definitely 
partnering with a, a chef made it feel way more organic and filled me with a lot more confidence. I've been part of openings from my Dalton house days, grounds days, and then probably done five to 10 venue openings other than happy field. And a lot of them, the chef doesn't work out within the first couple of weeks or couple of months. And once, yeah, if something happens with that chef, you know, they've got you over a barrel or you need to find someone to replicate what that original amazing chef did, or you're changing concept or menu one month into a, into a new venue. And it just doesn't set you up for success really. So having someone that controls the back of house and someone that controls the front of house for us was a perfect little recipe. Yeah, for sure. How did you and Jesse connect up? How did you become business partners? So we worked together at the grounds, but because the grounds is so big. So Jesse's from Toronto, Canada, hence the delicious pancakes. But well, I was a venue manager at the Potting Shed, which is like a bar restaurant part of the grounds. So it's, it's on the same location, but a completely different. And Jesse, when he first started, I think I'd already been there for about a year and a half, but he was in the cafe. So you're talking about a a venue that's got over 300 employees at the time, you know, who didn't really cross paths much, but we ended up doing a pop-up project together. So probably heard of sculptures by the sea that happens once a year in Sydney. We, the the grounds where we're working built a a cafe there three years in a row. And on the second year, me and Jesse were working together kind of, we're both kind of second in charge in our respect. So second in charge running the operations team and second in charge running the kitchen team. So that was the first time we actually worked together and, and met each other. I think the first time I met him, I, I picked him up on the way to work. Someone had said, oh, can you pick up pick up this guy from Maroubra? And I'm like, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll pick him up. So ended up being his lift three weeks. Not much changed once after we you know, started working together and becoming friends and opening Happy Field. I was always his lift for a while. And then the, the third year of that pop-up, we, we, instead of being second in charge, we were both first in charge running the whole pop-up aspect, you know, building the venue for 10 days, trading for 18 days in kind of the busiest environment you could, you could imagine Tons of customers every day and then ripping it down and pretending it was never there four days later. Uh, so yeah, stayed, stayed friends after I left the grounds. He was still there for a couple of years. He was sponsored and had to get his permanent residency. And then I had one more kind of serious full-time job after the grounds. And after I left that job, that's when I kind of put on the blinders and said, I want to open something and, and checked in with Jesse because we had always kind of, you know, talked about it, but not, not too seriously and said, you know, how serious are you? Because I'm going to, you know, go gun ho. And he's like, I'm in, you know, I just need some time. I need to get my permanent residency and whatnot. So it was all, there was a lot of patience involved, you know, nothing was rushed. Mm. So we had to wait for Jesse to get his PR, then, you know, wait to find the perfect site and whatnot. And then we ended up having to wait out COVID. Fun times. Which was fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let me do, let's try and take this off. Oh, no, I won't do it. Okay, cool. How did you find that particular site? From what I see online, like it looks like an incredible sort of corner corner site. Like yeah. how did you come across it? So we kind of did everything the opposite to most people. We know a lot of people find a venue and then kind of build a concept and, you know, find a chef and then build a menu and then open a cafe. Yep. Um, 
we had we had we had the chef and we built a menu and then built a concept around the menu and then we had to find a site to to match our our menu and concept so it's a lot harder to find a site when you do it like that because you're a bit more pigeonholed mm. you got to make sure the the area you find and and the site all kind of fits you know not we knew we wanted to sell pancakes and not not area not every area you know um might be the best to, to have pancakes as your most popular item or hopefully most popular item. So we were looking everywhere and anywhere, but because we had started looking whilst, whilst we kind of weren't ready to commit just to kind of get the feel for different venues, we ended up getting, well, the only other venue that we found that wasn't what Happy Field is now, we put an offer on and, you know, wasn't much wiggle room and whatnot. So we, we were walked away and used a bit of maturity there, which ended up being pretty lucky that we didn't go with that one. Um, and then it was just a bit of luck. So searching online, going to different inspections. I had seen this venue online, but it looked really big in all the images and it looked like it was going to be a bit too big for us. Mm-hmm. And then I saw one in, in Balmain, which was a couple suburbs over from Haberfield. And it was way too small. And I just asked the agent, you know, if, you know, we're looking pretty hard at the moment. So if anything else comes up and he, he showed me a few, a three or four venues right then and there. And he showed me the one that's happy filled now. And I said, Oh, can you send me all the rents to the venues? And he sent me the asking rent price. And I'm like, Oh, whoa, okay. If that's what they're asking and if we can get a bit lower than that, you know, so I drove past straight from Balmain on the way home just drove past it. All right. This is pretty cool. I'd probably only been in Haberfield once or twice before that in my life. So didn't know much about the suburb or the venue, but mm. yeah, drove past it, booked an inspection. Jesse was in Canada at the time on a kind of Christmas holiday. So it was late December, early January. A good friend of ours came to the inspection with me. We both really liked it. Sent Jesse a bunch of, bunch of pictures. He really liked it. So as soon as he got back, we went and had a look at it again. And then I think that afternoon we started drafting an offer and it took about kind of three months of back and forth with the real estate agent to, to sign the dotted line and wow. whatnot. So I think it took, went from kind of late December finding the site to early January seeing the site and then March, early March, getting the keys to the site. Was it, was it a cafe or restaurant beforehand? It was a restaurant. So it's about a 200 year old building and it's been a restaurant for the past 20, 25 years. Two previous restaurants were both Italian restaurants right. and the current restaurant is actually still next door to us. So they, they had about three sites and they had downsized and then it had sat empty for about six months before, before we came across it. Mm. So yeah, there was a lot of work to be done. I imagine so. And I also am really interested, especially with someone who's had such great experience with an amazing venue like The Grounds and and other venues that you've worked in as well, like you're you're coming into this particular project like extremely well-equipped to make decisions on what could be a a good side and what maybe might not work with your brand. Like how did you work how did you understand that this potentially was the the cracking site the happy field would then become if you didn't know much about sort of the area and the space itself yeah so first was we were looking for we were looking for a venue that had character so we didn't want something at the bottom of a commercial building or something that was brand new we wanted something that had a bit of character and history to it which as soon as you drive up this is on a, a prime corner and it's got you know a 200 year old facade and whatnot. So it had the character. Then it had kind of these big arched windows where all our banquet seating is now. 
So that kind of had the, even though everything else was a bit more, I guess everything was covered up compared to what it is now, which we ripped everything out. It had those windows, which we, which gave us a bit of a dynafill. So we liked, we liked the venue. We kind of quickly mapped out how many, how many seats we could fit, fit in there. Be food focused. We want to be service focused. So we needed to fit about 50 seats. It had a, it had a, a kitchen already in there, a grease trap and whatnot. So those were all tick boxes for us. We wanted an, an existing venue, something with a grease trap, something with an exhaust hood, being our first venue and a self-funded venue. You, we didn't want to be waste as a restaurant. So that was a, a big ticket item for us as we didn't want to do a change of use for, for the space, which we're actually currently doing for an extension, which has been a big headache, which we can, we can go into after. Yep. So we, we, we loved the venue. We loved what we could see us doing in there. Then we had to work out if the suburb was right because we, we didn't know much about that particular suburb and we figured that out by you know doing the old census data and all the rest of it and then going to different cafes in and around the suburb and we knew what we wanted to create and what we were going to be offering and once we had kind of seen what else was already there we knew we were going to be doing something very different and very complementary to the area and in terms of what we look for when we go for a for breakfast or for lunch, you know, being that we're, you know, we're in the industry, but we're also very passionate about, you know, dining and, and, and going out and having a coffee and having some breakfast, lunch or going out to dinner. We kind of know what we're looking for. And we, we kind of looked at it as if we were living in the suburb and we wanted to, to go to breakfast, we, we would have had to leave the suburb and drive 10, 15 minutes to Alexandria or Marrickville uh, and one of those suburbs to find something that was more suited to our liking. So that's when we thought, you know, we, we could create something that was missing. And then the, the question was going to be, if that's going to be enough, because you don't know until you open the doors, what's going to happen. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I always find that like you have such a such a great plan, and then the thing actually opens, and then it, and it changes your mindset about what what it actually is yeah, going to become. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Luckily enough for me, I'd obviously worked at the grounds and been part of very successful opening. After my grounds life, I worked for two different small to medium sized franchises, so kind of twenty to thirty venues under the same name. And if you, you have that many venues, you're, you're going to have some really good ones and some not so good ones. So I had been a part of the grounds, which was the busiest of the busy and you know, most success, one of the most successful venues. And then I had been part of struggling franchises that were really struggling to keep their doors open. So I'd seen the two, the two polar opposites and I was kind of very level-headed and grounded and wasn't like, you know, let's make a open a cafe because cafes print money and whatnot. I kind of knew knew what I was getting myself into and didn't really have rose colored glasses on and was more hopeful than anything. But yeah, not expecting the world basically. Yeah. I was going to ask you like in regards with the grounds and because you just talked about the franchise model and I've come from, you know, a lot of different franchises during my career as well. Like what do you think, which system do you think taught you the most about how you're now running the cafe, do you think it's from those times with the franchise brands or do you think it's the, obviously the elevated experience of what the grounds does? I think it was definitely the, the elevated experience of what the grounds does okay. and just the attention to detail and of what it takes to, to run a venue like that. I think they waited about 
eight years to open a second venue. So, you know, it takes a lot of energy and hands-on ownership and love and care and, you know, blood, sweat, tears to keep it running and, and, and keep it busy. It's one thing to open something. And if you're lucky enough to be busy from day one, or it takes a month or six months or a year, that's one thing, but to, to keep it busy is another thing. And to, you know, it's hospitality. So staff come and go and, and you're going to have to keep, keep the quality up to a certain standard. And, you know, someone might be a regular, but if they have one or two bad experiences in a row, you might've lost them for good. So mm. every experience is, is important for every customer. Yeah, for sure. I also want to touch on the fact you talked about census data and that's something that we seem to be, I seem to be talking about to owners both on and off the podcasts of recent times, which is fantastic. Um, the amount of information you can get from ABS census data is extreme. Like how did you decipher that to actually make it allow you to make decisions about Happy Field and make sure it was the right venue for you guys to do? So for us, it was kind of looking at the population of the suburb and the demographics and whatnot and kind of anyone in Sydney that knows anything about Haberfield will probably be able to tell you that it's a very older demographic and a lot of Italians and whatnot, you know, if you're trying to go in there and open a, you know, trendy, funky cafe that's suited to your, your own liking, which is, you know, a late 20, early 30 year old, it might not be the right idea, but what we could see from the census data that was, okay, maybe there's 48% Italians, which is a lot, but there was also a lot of up and coming families and, and a lot of people moving in and, and there's a lot of primary schools there. So there's three really great primary schools in Haberfield. So there was a lot of young families moving into in and around the suburb. And we thought, well, there's plenty of Italian restaurants here and there's, you know, you can get plenty of arancini and panini and pizza and pasta, but you know, where can you get breakfast and lunch and eggs and crispy bacon and pancakes and mm. fresh juices and shakes and, and all the rest of it. And that we, we worked out pretty quickly that there was nowhere in the whole suburb that served hot chips. Wow. Uh, yeah. So being someone that loves, you know, chicken and chips and burgers and chips and fish and chips, although when we're a cafe and we're not kind of, you know, we're not a chip restaurant, mm. it was kind of like, there's some, there's definitely something missing here. You know, you, you, you can't get a burger, you can't get chips, you can't get a lot of things. And we kind of already, you know, I don't want to say we bundled all that up and cause we already had, we already had the menu and the concept, but what we had on paper was missing in this suburb. So Yeah. How, how long did it take you to work through sort of the concept and the branding? Because it is, it is exceptional, Chris. Like if you go on your website, like it's just fantastic. The fact you're using it like a color, like yellow for a cafe is very unique. Like that's the thing that really stood out to me. Like the sort of pop element behind it, the urban element behind it is really, really impressive. Like how long did it take to go through that process? I guess you could say it took two and a half years. So like I said, the first thing we did once we said we're opening a cafe is we already had a bunch of text messages of back and forth of different food ideas. That's how it all kind of started. Yeah, right. So the first thing Jesse did was, was write a menu and then he sent me a menu. And once I had a menu, I wanted to see how that menu would read in a cafe. So I started, you know, opened up Google slides and put that menu into a proper format, which is the same format, which we have now, but obviously brighter and, and prettier. I'm not a graphic designer by any means. So yeah, then we had a menu. Then we wanted to come up with, and this is all prior to even finding Happy Field. So we, we came up with like names and we 
we figured out a name which wasn't Happy Field, and we decided even before we had a venue to get branding done for that for that concept. Wow! And at the time, because it was pancakes and and eggs and whatnot, that that branding kit that someone did for us had yellow cream white and charcoal which pancakes eggs and their vision was they they knew me and jesse on a personal side and said you guys are both really happy and yellow yellow screams happy so i think yellow should be a big big part of your venue so we had that brand that branding done but for a different name and whatnot then once we finally found the the haberfield site we pretty much chucked out that name straight away. It wasn't it wasn't fitting to that to that venue. It was a bit more, I guess you could say, commercial or not as serious in a way. I won't touch on that name just in case we <laughs> end up using it for something else. One day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then, funny enough, when I first took my wife to see the venue, she's just straight straight away. Oh, you should call it Happy Field because it was in Haberfield. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh no, no way, because you know, lots there's lots of venues out there that end in field and i was like no no we're not we're not going to be a field venue and then so we started thinking of names and then she was like what about happy field and we're like and jesse's like oh no it's too happy you know it needs to be more rough and 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 and, you know rough around the edges so we had a list of about 50 names and whenever we showed someone that they would either pick happy field off the list as their favorite name, or they would say anything but happy field. So <laughs> right. No matter who we were showing. Yeah. It was, it was jumping off the list, whether it was a positive or negative way. So I came around quicker. I kind of loved the whole thing of happy field, happy field. Mm-hmm. They're both the same amount of letters and there's only three letters between the two words and then Jesse needed, you know, needed a sign to point him in the right direction. So it took him a bit longer, but then one day, you know, he saw a yellow happy sign and something else. And then he was like, you know what? I think it could work. So we ended up agreeing on happy field. We had the old branding kit. So once it was happy field and we already had yellow as a small part of the brand, then it was, it was really ramping up the yellow happy field and happy and yellow just go hand in hand. So slowly, slowly it was kind of, you know, what if we painted the ceiling yellow and then that was a big debate and whatnot. And then every single item we picked, it was like, Oh, should we, should we get that yellow or shouldn't we get that yellow? You know, when we're getting the coffee cups, it was like, should we get yellow ones and cream ones or should we just get, all yellow and more often than not, than not, we just kept on saying, let's just get yellow. Let's just get yellow. And we tried to, to tread that line of not going too over the top. And when you walk in our venue, I, I definitely think we found that right balance of blending everything together. There's a lot of neutral colors. There's a bit of green, but then there's all those little yellow touches. So there's the yellow ceiling, the yellow coffee machine, the yellow cups, the lids on the salt and pepper shakers are painted yellow. The menu covers are yellow. My sneakers are yellow every day. My watch band's yellow. So they're all the, the receipts are yellow. Oh, so wow. There's all these different little... <laughs> yeah, yeah. So people are pretty impressed with that one when you print the bill at the end and, it, and, it, and it's yellow. It's awesome. But yeah, it was all kind of of you know you you kind of see a lot of i guess commercial places where they are a bit more color focused and it can come across as a bit commercial or mm. cookie cutter and whatnot i think what really helped us was we really wanted a, a you know interior designer and a building manager and all that but we, it wasn't in our budget so we had to pull everything together ourselves 
And so it didn't have that commercial feel to it. It didn't have a feel that any other Sydney venue had because it was our first venue that we had ever designed. And so it wasn't a designer that had designed a dozen other venues and they all have that kind of same, same feel. So a lot of people come in and they say straight away, Oh, this is, this is amazing. You know, who designed it? You know, it's, it's so different to everything else that's, that's around in Sydney. And a lot of our inspiration was from international venues, in, you know, looking at different diners in the States, venues we had been to on our travels or venues that we could find on Pinterest and, and whatnot. And it was just building mood boards throughout the process. We had a lot of mood boards and, and, and whatnot and everything categorized prior to even finding Haberfield. So we had, you know, furniture and merchandise, food, beverage, you know, ceilings and light fittings and all that. And all that kind of time and picking and whatnot. When we mm. came time of kind of deciding on everything, we kind of knew what we want. We just had to find it. In, in reflection, like how much of a great process do you think that particularly was? Because I imagine that must have saved you and Jesse so much time in the build out of this particular venue because you already had this, you know, fully formed concept, exactly what you wanted to actually do, right? Like at least you were both on the same page, I imagine, from day one. Yeah, we kind of built ourselves a manual uh, mm. before we even knew what we were doing. But it, it as well, it comes down to our experiences and my time at the grounds and being around, you know, an owner and a venue that focuses so much on details and whatnot. Um, yeah, but definitely having a mood board and a business plan and, and spreadsheets and profit and losses and hypothetical situations all, all helped. And we had all of that before we had a venue yeah. because when, once you get a venue, you might have a month or two months or three months or six months of rent free. If you spend, you know, two of those months, months conceptualizing, you can run out of time really quick. So it's great to already, in our opinion, to already have a, have a concept and, and have a menu and, and whatnot before, you know, venue hunting. Yeah, for sure. Will it work for us? Yes, absolutely. I, I think it's, yeah. and, the, and the reason why I wanted to ask a bit more detail about that is I think like it's a cracking blueprint, right? Like I've worked with so many clients before and been in so many different brands that like you have an idea about a name and location wise where you want to go, but you don't, you're waiting to be, the client is waiting to be excited by the designer or by the builder about, you know, how it could look and feel and, and how it could move. I think the more detail and the more understanding an owner or investor can have in particular spaces before you actually go forward with a lease, I think it's just so much more beneficial for, for the builder yeah. and the person doing the fit out as well, you know? Yeah. Mm. I think in my personal experience and my, you know, small time experience of being a business owner and we've had one venue and we've done it one way, but I just can't see how you would do it any other way. Like how you would just go, Oh, let's, open a cafe and we'll work everything out. I think there's a lot that needs to be worked out before you even, before you sign that dotted line. Totally agree. Let's talk about how you and Jesse have built such a loyal following so far. Like the amazing thing about this particular brand is that it's obviously got such great branding. You're obviously delivering on a consistent, you know, experience, which I imagine keeps to that. But I imagine as well, because it does stand out so much, like people might see it as maybe just a destinational great place they can go, but maybe not come on a regular basis. Like how have you made sure that you do have regular clientele coming through? 
I think that's just commitment to our product. So we're very food focused and service focused and we're very hands-on. So we're still, you know, for a long time we traded six days a week and me and Jesse were at the venue six days a week. Now we trade seven days a week and we're there five days a week unless, you know, things things happen and sometimes you're there, you're there more or, or I just worked the last nine days straight and today's my first day off, but I went for lunch. So yeah, but to keep those, those regulars and, and the loyals and the locals, um, we do specials every week. So, and we change our menu every season. So we just launched our order menu on Wednesday. So we change about eight to 10 dishes on our menu. All the, all the, the pancakes and the brekkie burgers kind of stay the same, but all our lunchier items and brekkie bowls, we, we, we change all of them once a quarter. And then every week since we've opened, we've had a pasta of the week. And that was our kind of little homage to, to being in Little Italy nice. or one of Sydney's Little Italy's. You've got Leichhardt and Haberfield right next door to each other. Mm-hmm. So we had a pastor of the week since day one. So, so you'd have, you know, locals and people that live down the road that would come every week to try the pasta. Mm-hmm. And we'll show the cooking of, of that dish from start to finish on Instagram and whatnot. And it'd be like our own little behind the scenes kind of raw cooking show, I guess. Nice. And then after after about fifty or so pastas, we we added a sandwich of the week as well. So now every single week we do a, a pasta of the week and sandwich of the week, and the sandwich is only available on the weekdays, which works well in in, in bringing those regulars to the cafe when it's not as busy as the weekends. That's not actually why we do the sandwich only on weekdays. It's just too busy on weekends to be able to to do it. So if it's something like a a Philly cheese steak or a chopped cheese or something to, to, to sell, you know, 30 of them on a weekday is one thing, but then if you're, you're on a weekend and you have to sell a hundred or 150 of them when you've got limited space in, in the kitchen to do the menu or you already do, it's just near impossible for a lot of the time. So we just do those sandwiches kind of Tuesday to Friday, Monday's kind of creative prep day. And then from Tuesday onwards, we run that, that sandwich daily till it sells out. So the locals and the regulars really like coming and trying those new dishes. And even when we launch those those seasonal menus, they love them. You might have a a regular that you haven't seen for for a month or so, and you launch that new menu, and they're they're, they're day one or day two to to try those new dishes. It keeps it exciting for them. We show a lot of what we do on our social media, so we use our stories a lot. So every time we do a new special or a new menu. There's a whole lot of content that goes straight up and it's all really live and, and really raw. So people kind of see something getting cooked and they go, I want that. <laughs> <laughs> and they either come that day or the next day or, or whatever it is and, and they get there as soon as they can because sometimes it's, you know, if it's a seasonal menu, it's only there for a few months. If it's a special, it's only there for a few days and, and they want to come and check it out. How do, you, how do you and Jesse sort of work through what, what those specials are going to be and even those seasonal menus are going to be? Because that's a lot of change-ups, you know, over a year, right? Yeah. Is it just you two coming up with the ideas would, or how does it work? I would say at the start, when we first put together a menu, I was a lot more involved. I would say now that now it's 90% Jesse and the kitchen crew. So at the moment, we've got a sous chef that could easily be a head chef and has been the head chef and we've worked with that previous jobs and roles and really Jess is the exec chef and owner of the venue and, and the sous chef is 
the head chef. But yeah, they come up with all the specials. I don't have much input. I might have like my two cents and, you know, that might affect 10% of the dish, but you know, they, they come up with it all and, and it's all, yeah, it's, it's kind of whatever they, they feel like on the week really, or whatever they're excited about, or they might've, they might've seen somewhere or, or, you know, we, we watched the bear and they've got the the mm-hmm. French dip and, you know, we, we've got to be the first ones to do the French dip and, nice. and whatnot. And we, we really like, particularly with the sandwiches, we like doing things that either haven't been done or aren't available in Sydney. So we like to, like to cook something that we can't get here, but that we crave from a previous trip to the States or Jesse in Canada and whatnot and, and bringing those things. And we're almost the opposite in terms of the fact that if someone else has already done something too close to us, we don't want to touch it. We're almost like, no, it's been done. We, we don't, we're not going there. Yeah. Too many places are doing it. It's more, if something hasn't been done, that that's exciting for us. Um, and the pastas we've done, we've done over a hundred now. So it's like wow. just them <laughs> pushing the boundaries of what they come up with or every now and then bringing back an old favorite, but putting a new spin on it and, and whatnot. So mm. yeah, we could definitely write a cookbook with all the, all the specials we've, we've done. No doubt. I reckon that's the next stage. You could definitely bring that out. Yeah. Chris, what are you, what are your plans for the future here? I mean, obviously you built such an amazing brand with Jesse and obviously you said at the start of the podcast that you're looking at extending at the moment, but with such great parts of the business, like sandwiches, like pasta, like pancakes that are coming through, like you'd also deal, you could also build some sub brands here and some smaller kind of venues, just focusing on those products. Like what are you guys thinking for the future? Definitely. So I think prior to opening Happy Field, we always score ourselves as potentially owning multiple venues one day. I think prior to opening Happy Field, we would have 100% said that those venues would all be different concepts, but after opening Happy Field and how, how quickly it's become a recognized establishment and a bit of a, a, a brand, it would almost be crazy not to try potentially open a second one somewhere, whether it's in another part of Sydney or, or interstate or whatnot. But at the same time that we're, because of all these specials and we are very food passionate, we have a lot of concept ideas around different types of food, whether it be half a dozen of our sandwich specials or, you know, we love fried chicken and and whatnot, (laughs) but we don't, we don't cook it at the venue at the moment. So there definitely are a lot of sub concepts that we've thought about. It's just, if, if we get to the stage where we're ready to open a second venue, it'll be a big decision of whether it's going to be happy field 2.0 or whether it's going to be another concept or, or a sub concept where it's, you know, happy deli by happy field or, or whatever it is uh, yeah we another thing we do a lot of which kind of helps us with our creative outlet is we'd love to do more but we do happy nights so it's kind of like a, a ticketed event that we try sell out and we do a, a food concept that we haven't done at the venue before so it's almost like launching a brand new restaurant but for one night only wow so we've done we're about to do our fourth one on tuesday this week we did about a dozen of them during lockdown but takeaway versions yeah actually more than a dozen there was it was once or twice a week we're doing different happy nights lockdown edition but yeah the first one we did about three months after we opened it was happy happy nights one Volume one, a fried chicken and pancakes. So a take on fried chicken and waffles. We'd never done fried chicken at the venue before, but 
you know, having a chef from, from Toronto that cooks very delicious pancakes. People were very excited to see what our fried chicken was going to be look like. And we did three sittings and that sold out in about half an hour. So 55 seats a sitting. Yeah. It was a bit crazy and hectic and whatnot, but it was a great success. And it took us a while to work up the courage to do another one. And we decided to do Singapore mud crab, which was, you know, a bit different, but something that, you know, we, I'd been to Singapore and had Jumbo's Singapore mud crab and Jesse, you know, could cook a mean Singapore mud crab that he helped me cook for my family once for Mother's Day. So yeah, we did, we did Happy Nights 2.0 Singapore mud crab. And then we did a baby back ribs and Oklahoma smash burgers. And we sold, we sold tickets to that about two a week or two weeks before lockdown 2.0, the hundred day Sydney lockdown. So we sold tickets, had to delay it. We kind of gave people the option to refund, to get a refund or, or whatnot. No one wanted to do that. So we're like, well, I guess, well, I guess we're going ahead with it at some stage. And we did ended up, I think we sold tickets in June for July and ended up doing the event in December once lockdown finally finished and, and we were back to normal capacity rules because we had sold it on a two square meter capacity. And even once lockdown finished, we're on a four square meter capacity and we didn't want to have to cancel anyone's tickets because that, that one sold out in seven minutes. So we literally just put, put the tickets on our website and we, we kind of, we're both sneaker obsessed. So we kind of make it like a sneaker drop and we say, okay, tickets are going on sale at 10 PM on Monday night. And we just turn on, have it all scheduled and, and see what happens. And then the one we're doing this Tuesday is a taco Tuesday. So it's like a build your own taco feast. That's going to be served straight on, straight on the table and then wrapped up when you finish and chucked in the bin. <laughs> that's so sick. So, yeah. We'd like to get to a stage where we can do more of them or even open, you know, at nighttime once a month or once a fortnight, but we'll see. It's hard because we're busy for really busy for breakfast and lunch. It's hard to do breakfast, lunch, dinner, and then back in the breakfast. Mm, for sure. Obviously, you know, you're saying that Happy Field is a, you know, 55 seat venue. Like, do you think with the next venues that you, you guys do together, like you'll sort of keep around that pack size, like sort of remain under a hundred or an under, under 80 sort of pack venue? Yes and no. At the moment where the little expansion we're working on is another 25 to 30 seats at an adjoining site. So that'll be called the happy room and once we open that room we'll be able to start taking reservations for the first time because we've been a walk-ins only very strict walk-ins only venue so we'll be able to take some reservations and that'll get us to about the 75 80 seat mark i think it's all dependent on the venue and the size of the kitchen and whatnot obviously it's it's great for atmosphere If the you know seats are full and tables are turning and whatnot, so you don't want to have two hundred seats and struggle to to fill them. But if you've got the demand for it and you can fill the seats, then why not have a hundred seats or a hundred and twenty if you think you can fill them and and, and turn them and, and whatnot. Mm. Yeah. So happy balance. And I'm talking to more and more people who are doing those smaller sort of smaller pack sizes, right? Under a hundred and, and yeah, just continue to talk about how the atmosphere is a lot better and a lot easier to manage, I should say. And then, yeah, it just allows you to scale in a different way, you know? It's good. Yeah. Yeah. And you can kind of focus on, uh, on pace and, and speed of what you do rather than, you know, having all these well, we have a lot of staff anyway, but if you had a, a bigger venue means more staff. And if you can't fill that menu, well, then your, your overheads are higher. Mm. Your rent would be higher because the, the venue's bigger. You've probably got bigger, bigger kitchen and more equipment and, and whatnot. So it, it's just the bigger you go, the riskier it is, I guess. Mm. 
<laughs> the final question I'm going to leave you with and one that we're starting to ask as part of season 16 is how are you leaving your legacy and your mark on the hospitality industry, Chris? I think for us, we're just trying to do it the right way. We're hospitality focused. We're food focused. We're service focused. Where we try to do our do right by our team. We I don't know even know the exact words of our our mission statement, but it's something along the lines of focus on your 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 team first. They'll focus on on the customer, and and everything else will fall in line. So we where we focus on our team a lot. We try to do everything we can. Our two most senior staff menus. Two of our most senior staff members work full time four day a week roles. 35 hours. So, you know, I grew up working 60, 65, 70 hours, which is, is fun and it makes you tough and whatnot, but the, the world's not going in that direction. So we're trying to make hospitality a place that you, you, it it can be your career and it it can be, you can have a lifestyle or a work-life balance whilst having a, a, a fun, great hospitality job and, and trying to, you know, keep, people in hospitality rather than it just being a, you know, a gateway job to another career. Why, why not make it your career and whatnot? So just trying to do things the right way and, and hopefully people kind of follow, follow our lead, I guess. And I'm not saying we're the only ones doing it, but you know, if enough people do things the right way, then it just becomes a better industry and, and the better standard and better quality of venues and, and whatnot. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast with me today and especially what yourself and Jesse are doing for the hospitality industry, like creating a brand which is is so well-branded and just doing things that are different, doing things the right way. Even you're talking about there like a, a four-day work week, 38-hour, 35-hour week for staff like is a game changer and I know I would have been a lot more excited to work under that industry rather than what we both worked in. So well done on everything you're doing, my friend. It, I can't wait to see how you guys grow over the coming years. Chris, what's the best way that people can come down to happy field line up and get ready to get a table i think it's worth noting that we do have this perception that if you come to happy field it's going to be a one hour wait for a table or whatnot which is is true on a good portion of saturday and sunday but we're open seven days a week and and monday to friday you most likely 90 percent of the time going to get a table straight away or you might catch a, a 10, 15 minute wait at, if you come at 12 o'clock on the dot where everyone's taking their lunch break at the same time. Mm-hmm. So picking the times you come, reach out to us. We, we kind of tell you the, you know, the tricks of the trade. Like if, if you want to come on a Saturday and you, you've got six people, don't maybe don't come at, at 11.30 a.m., maybe come at 7.30 or 8 a.m. And, and we can get you in and you'll have no wait time. At the moment, the way we run our wait list is we take a phone number and we promote people to to wander the suburb. It's like a little food village and a lot of delis and cake shops and cheese shops. So to help keep you busy and help keep our footpaths clear, we take a, a phone number and, and call you when the table's ready. So you don't you can go to the park or if you know it's going to be a long wait, you can you can do the bay run or, or whatever. Some people say, oh, what if we're still you know, if we go for a drive, what if we're half an hour away when you call us? I said, that's fine. Just, just let me know. And when you come back, I'll give you the first available table. So we, we kind of follow the rules and give everyone the best chance of, of getting in and don't prioritize anyone, but we also are flexible and work with you. And then if you, you hold out and 
we've kind of been saying for nine months now that we're going to have more space and be able to take reservations. But eventually, you know, we're spending all this money behind the scenes of trying to get this little room approved, but we're doing it. So, you know, people that can't wait or, or having a special occasion, you know, you, you know, you're coming for a, a birth, you know, someone's 50th or 60th birthday. You don't really want to wait for an hour. And we're creating this room so people can reserve a spot and, and reserve a table of 10 or whatever it is, eight, six, and not have to wait. And then it also helps us not have uh, potentially multiple tables of 10 rock up at the same time and both say, yep, I want to wait an hour. Yep. I want to wait an hour. (laughs) Okay, cool. We're going to work it out in an hour's time and and get you in somehow, some way, which we always work it out, but it's not easy. So it's really going to help for for our guests and also hopefully help us as well. Yeah, for sure. Thanks, that Intel. I know that's going to help a whole heap of people who want to come down to the venue after <laughs> hearing this podcast, although you guys are so busy. At the moment, that is linked up in the show notes of this podcast so you can connect with the guys on their website and obviously Instagram. They're actually killing it. Chris, thanks so much for your time. No problem at all. Thank you for having me. Thanks again for tuning in to another episode of Principle of Hospitality. I hope you really enjoyed that one, especially as we talked a lot about branding right there and the importance of really understanding what you want to build in the hospitality industry. Please comment, like, and share this podcast with your friends in the industry. We're obviously making this content with the industry in mind and the way we can keep doing it if you, if you keep sharing it along. So please do. Thanks so much for tuning to this episode. Until next week, stay well, everyone. Hospo is all about connection with your customers and your team. But what if your tools could also connect? That's where Square comes in. Square for restaurants connects your front of house to your back of house, your team to their schedules, and connects new revenue streams with your marketing to reach new customers. Whether you have one location or many, Square has everything your business needs to connect your vision to reality. Learn more by visiting square.com slash restaurants.